And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of wheat by your bed. <laughs> Tillywinks, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I'm very easily startled, Mr. Finkerton. <laughs> I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. Hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark. Ow, that hurt like a son of a bitch, Frankum. And that is Chris <laughs> Dude. I used the sharp one, Finkston over there. How you doing, man? I used a new one. Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. It's early in the morning, dude. Yeah, it is. But you know what? It's okay. It's early in your morning. Right. <laughs> it's the late Chris's night. So yeah. Uh, how was your How was your shift? Was it good? Uh, the shift was good. It was weird. Um, so logistically, so I'm a supervisor where I work, and so not everything I do is out there running around saving lives, uh, which may be a shock to some <laughs> okay. of you. Even when you're on the ambulance, very little saving lives goes on. Fair enough. Even <laughs> even when it probably should. Is that what you're trying right. to say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's uh, not a lot of that stuff. So just logistically, it was a bizarre night. A bizarre. Yeah. How bizarre? How bizarre? So, okay. So I'm assuming that's the end of your story. You're not going to go into the bizarrity or the bizarreness or the bizarracity of it at The bizarracity. No, uh-huh. not... Screw you guys. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, no, okay. but you know what I did do? Oh, God. I did start some IVs. No. Yes, I did. Why would you do such a thing, Mr. Fingston? Well, because sometimes access to someone's bloodstream via the veins is uh, necessary for drug administration. <laughs> that didn't sound like you're reading off page at all. No, not at all. <laughs> Hey, did I tell you about the guy I saw the other day that looked exactly like your dad if he just let himself go? Yeah, you did. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, if your dad just became a raging alcoholic, yeah. <laughs> didn't want, didn't really bother shaving. <laughs> well, some So, Chris's dad worked for one of our local fire departments for many, many years. He's a very well-respected, unlike Chris. Right. He's a very well-respected paramedic. And uh, two of the older guys, I'm like, could this guy not be, like, Doug Fingston's brother, and they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, if he, if he let himself go, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, vascular access. Yeah, so. Exciting. So, this is actually a request from a listener. Yeah, we had a request through Facebook about someone yeah. asking us if we could talk about IVs. I believe. I just said no. <laughs> Chris, right. said, Chris said, no, Mark, be nice. I care about the listeners. <laughs> Unlike that mongrel on the other end of the microphone. Um but yeah, I want to say it was uh, someone who is in the educational process for nursing. Hello, I'm here. Oh, I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were in the middle of a sentence and just cut out. No, no, no. Oh, this is going to be an epic episode. I can tell right now. Yeah, yeah, but no, I believe uh, this is someone who is in the educational process for nursing or med aid or something right. like that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, had a question about IVs, which as you're going through school, uh, I- IVs to me was a point of anxiety because uh, what ends up happening is you get into school and um, you learn rather quickly. And by rather quickly, I mean like day one, they're like, oh, by the way, the best way to learn how to do IVs is to practice on each other. Right. So now, when you screw it up, you're legitimately hurting your friends with a sharp, pointy metal thing. Well, I mean, they do have mannequins, but it's just just, just not the same. Oh, it's not at all. I mean, I mean a, a rubber hose under rubber skin is not, I mean, it's it's just just like, not the same. It's just like using a rubber in other circumstances. It's just not the same. You don't get the same feel. It seems like it's a barrier <laughs> to really getting the experience you want to go for. <laughs> so which is worse, us saying all this or other people wanting to listen to it? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say us saying it. Yeah, I think it's a combo, though. Right. I think one begates the other. And I, I would also say that hey, the mannequin... stop listening, we'll stop saying it. Yeah. Hey, don't say that. Don't stop listening. Please don't stop listening. Well, what I would also say, though, is that the mannequin arms, unlike the condoms, are uh, way less than 90% effective. Like, it's... Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have them, but really until you actually start... Well, I think part of it is because there's also that psychological barrier you have to overcome. Of Because mm-hmm. I say, 
People are like, do you like being a paramedic? I'm like, I love being a paramedic. I get to drive fast, meet new people, stick sharp objects in them. Right. So you try doing you, that in your personal vehicle, you get arrested. <laughs> you know, it's you have to overcome. Well, because you'll see people and they'll, they'll go really, really slow as a new medic, and it's like, well, I don't want to hurt them. You're sticking a needle in them. You're gonna hurt them. So how about we? Move it along and get over it as fast as we can. Oh, God. So let's kind of round out the actual description of VS Access. I think by now everyone's pretty certain that what we mean is poking a needle into a vein. Right. And so there's actually a couple ways to do this, but uh, venous access of any kind is a way to access the bloodstream through the veins, uh, either to administer medications, intravenous therapy, sometimes fluid. Um, we can uh, actually nutrition can happen this way. It's mm -hmm. actually called paraenteral uh, nutrition, which literally means uh, not the stomach, I guess would be the way to say that. Right. Uh, and then also we can obtain blood for analysis. Which is actually something we now do in the field quite commonly. Well, I don't know if it's common in all systems. It's certainly common in our system. Right. So, uh, yeah, we pick up, uh, we will actually draw labs for some of our hospitals, pre-hospital. And they use those, which helps with patient care and the speed at which patient gets care in the ER. Yeah. Now, really not so much for the critical patients, although we do draw them for them. Because, I mean, they're going to get labs drawn pretty quick as soon as we roll in. Right. What it's really good for are the patients who are going to be a while before they see a doctor because yeah. you can send the labs off. It's done. The doctor comes in. He's got so much more information. It so. really, it, the re, one of the reasons, well, I think there's a couple reasons that it's become popular drawing blood uh, in the field, at least in our system is one, the nurses love it. It's one less task off their mm -hmm. very, very, very full plate. Right. And uh, the other thing too, is it shortens the overall length of the ER stay. Well, and, I think the study they did at a local hospital was, uh, 28 minutes per IV, or I'm sorry, 20, 28 minutes per ambulance patient. Right. And when we get, I mean, when these ERs get overcrowded, they're trying to shuck people out as quick as they, they can. And right. I don't mean like just get them at the ER, but either get them home where they need to be or get them up to a floor where they need to be. When they, to do that, they need to have all the information. Yeah. And so if we start off with that information, it's very helpful. So yeah. So blood draws in the field through IV is, um, something we're doing nowadays. Right. So, uh, IV therapy is, a uh, like Chris said, just delivers liquid substances into the vein. So we have different types, and, and we're going to talk about some other more than just IVs. IVs are intravenous. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about some uh, other types of uh, accesses, axes, axes, <laughs> axi, axillarium. Yeah. Um, here in a little bit, but right now we're talking about the peripheral IV. This is going to be started generally. Well, it's going to be started peripherally, but the definition of peripherally is going to be like below the elbows is the most common. We can go above there for an IV, and then also we start IV. Uh, we can start an IV in the legs. I've done it. I've started a foot IV. I've started a uh, shin IV before. Yeah, sometimes you got to take what you can get. Uh, I had a paramedic supervisor in Oklahoma who started a penal IV. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, And then we also can go to what are called the external jugular veins, which are the veins that run down the outside of your neck. Yeah. Have you ever done one of those? I have. Uh, we used to do them as a matter of course. They're really good for certain calls like cardiac arrests mm -hmm. because the medication you're giving literally goes straight into the central system. Well, and it's also, it's right there. It's it, Landmarks are easy, and on most mm -hmm. people, they're in about the same spot. They're, it's, right. They're, yeah. they, they can be tough to get, though, just because <clears throat> unlike the veins in your arms, there's nothing really there stabilizing. Yeah, well, I found the hardest thing was actually... Uh, getting the needle to an angle that it could go in because right. when you're looking at that so the needle whenever you're doing an iv the needle always points towards the heart and so when you're doing uh the external jugular vein it's difficult because you'll have the chin there blocking the whole catheter and the catheter um the catheter by the way uh so when we start an iv it is a, it's actually a kind of a little device there that what you have is you have a needle in the middle and a Teflon, usually Teflon catheter over the top. The needle breaks the skin, but it's actually the Teflon catheter that goes in, not the needle in most cases, though it can be a needle. Well, uh, I mean, as you, we were talking about learning earlier, the thing you learn, as opposed to like a blood draw where it's just the needle, mm -hmm. hollow needle, where they stick the tip of the needle into the vein and they draw blood out, we get the needle into the vein and then advance the catheter off the needle. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going all the way to the hub with the needle. We should be getting 
just enough of the needle in there that we can advance the uh, advance the uh, catheter off of it. Right. And so when we try to do that on the EJ, because it's actually there's a lot more than just the thing that ends up with you, that ends up in you, is um, it can just be hard to find room between like the angle of the jaw and where the vein is. That's right. that's the main difficulty that I found. And there are some people that have tricks like bending the needle and that kind of stuff, but you want to be careful with things never like heard that. Of that. Oh, you have it? So mm-hmm. it was actually a physician that showed me. He's like, yeah, what you can do is you just take that out and you push the end of this and bend it down and it kind of makes it like a crescent shape. And I remember looking at that and just thinking, gosh, no but yeah, because the <laughs> Teflon, because my biggest worry is that you'd somehow break or degrade the Teflon catheter, and then uh-huh. you put that in there, that Teflon catheter breaks off, and now that's just a projectile heading right, right to the central circulation system. Yeah, I won't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other complication I found is that usually whenever we start an IV, we pull tension on the vein to hold mm-hmm. it down, hold it on the spot. Well, like I said, there's not really a whole lot of uh, structure. There's plenty of structure on the side of the neck. Um, so as you try to provide traction on the neck, that the uh, EJ can actually flatten out and disappear. Right, exactly. And so, those are some of the complications with a with an EJ. Now, when we start the catheter, we have uh, different sizes of catheter we can use, and just like a shotgun, the smaller the number, the bigger the catheter. Yeah, it's measured in gauges. So right. the the biggest one you'll typically see, although there are bigger, but the biggest one you'll typically see on an ambulance is a fourteen gauge. Yeah. Uh, to give you Sorry. an idea, <laughs> to give you an idea about how big that is, the external diameter of that is about two millimeters. Um, if you're not really, sh- hmm, gosh, how do I describe two millimeters? Very small. No. Very, yeah. Um, I, usually the internal diameter I, I describe on a 14 gauge mm-hmm. is about the size of a pencil lead. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which probably is not describing it to a large demographic of our listeners because they probably have never seen a pencil. <laughs> well, and when we're talking hey, about you kids, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, Mark used to write on scrolls, so um, chiseled, 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 very true. Uh, but like your abs. Oh, anyway, um, yeah. yeah, that's me, Mister <laughs> <laughs> Six Pack. <laughs> that's in there somewhere. Uh, anyway, so you have, um, so, gosh, boy, I just, I just went away. So yeah, and when Mark says pencil, he means like a Ticonderoga number two, not like a mechanical pencil lid. Those are much right. smaller. Um, the fact that wow. I could bring out the common brand of pencil <laughs> says a lot about my school. You now know why your uh, text message alert on my phone is nerd alert, nerd yeah, alert. Exactly. <laughs> and so these sizes uh, taper down typically by twos. And so we have the 14, 16, 18, and 20. 18 and 20s, I would say, are more common ones. And then you got- I'm a 20-gauge guy. I really yeah. am. Well, and I can tell you, as someone who is pays attention to the inventory at our at our place of work, 20, a lot of people are twenty gauge people. <laughs> in my mind, there's really not. I mean, some people are go big or go home every single uh, call, and it's, it's like you don't need. I have re, I have a reason why I like like twenty gauges. A, you don't need an eighteen, sixteen, or fourteen on ninety nine percent of your patients. Yeah, uh, a twenty gauge is perfectly fine. Plus, it's very very easy to lose control or to dump a bunch of fluid into a patient very quickly with those larger gauge IVs. I mean, as an example, your 14 gauge is going to put a quarter liter into the patient every single minute. Yeah. And one of the things to uh, to consider, so so that's a good point. Let's bring up flow rates. Oh, there's also the 22 and the 24. Um, 22s and even 26s we have listed here. It's really tiny. I've never seen a 26 gauge. I can't say it, but probably saw one when I had when I worked on a pediatric ambulance. But honestly, I can't tell you a time I've used one or seen one used. Um, so looking at so one of the things that Mark just touched on is flow rate. So the so the fourteen gauge does two hundred forty milliliters a minute, but then you got sixteen is one hundred and eighty milliliters a minute. And so if you think about it, so two hundred forty milliliters a minute, it's about two hundred fifty. That is essentially a, a bottle of water, like if you get your standard uh, smaller sized water bottle, uh, just like bottled water like from a convenience store that's about one of those and that's one of those into your system over one minute that's a good flow rate right um so then you got the 16 which is 180 then you kind of go down the 18 is 90 and the 20 is 60 so kind of back to the value of the 20 60 isn't I mean, yes, it's no 240, but 60 is certainly substantial enough to where you can give fluid at a decent rate through it. 
Right. And at the same time, you're going to be giving any medications you need. So quite frankly, unless you're really concerned that fluid replacement is going to be a key factor in someone's care, there's not a lot of reason to do anything but a 20. Um, well, I found that if, I mean, if you're going to be doing something, if you're in a trauma situation, mm-hmm. um, people want a really large bore IV, unless you're going to be pushing blood through it. Yeah. You know, there's really not a huge advantage because, again, it is very, at 240 milliliters per minute, it doesn't take long to put a liter of fluid into somebody. And if they're bleeding out and they're hypotensive, you can actually go the other direction and dilute the blood. Yeah. So one of the things also that I want to bring up is a good time to bring it up is even though the 14 gauge is capable of 240 milliliters a minute, most of the drop sets that you're going to hook up to that are not. So even though that that, even though the 14 gauge is at the terminal end of this IV system, you actually have to have the tubing that goes to it big enough to supply that. Uh, so we, really? used, we yeah. I so, was, Cause I was always told that the tubing was large enough to support a 14 gauge. Uh, it and is. So, uh, it is, uh, so we use 10 drop sets. What that means is that 10 drops, uh, every 10 drops equals one CC. And so the lower that number, the bigger the drops that come out of the, the set. Right. And when they do a lot of those measurements, they don't account for friction loss through the length of the tubing. And that is, and if you're a firefighter, by the way, you're familiar with the term friction loss. And that's basically that even though a tubing is a certain diameter, the longer that tubing the more loss of flow you're going to have. Now, there are ways to overcome that. So one of the things I actually did at work, and I actually might post this video, is I was curious. So I hooked up a 10-drop set to a 500cc bag of normal saline, and I hooked up another one to a 14, uh, or uh, to another bag, and I put a 14-gauge cath on the end of one and a 16-gauge cath on the end of the other. I strung them both up at the same height, made sure there weren't any kinks in the tubing, and I ran them both and had them race to 100ccs into some suction buckets and see who could get there first. They got there within a second of each other. Now, that changes the moment you put the bags under pressure. You put the bags under pressure, like wrap a blood pressure cuff around either bag, or use a pressure infuser, and the 14 gauge starts kicking booty. But that's one of the things to consider if you're in the field, is that in the field, unless you're putting bags under pressure, the 14 gauge doesn't offer you any flow advantage due to friction loss in the tube. Um, So that's just kind of a consideration. There are advantages to the 14 gauge if you're really looking for flow rate. But it's not, if you're going just by drip gravity, you won't see it. Well, again, like I said, so when we talk about these flow rates, what I was saying is that, you know, the 14 gauge or the 16 gauge, if you're trying to infuse blood, mm-hmm. obviously an advantage there. Just because the blood is a much more viscous fluid. Yes. And so the larger gauge is going to allow that to flow in a little bit more quickly. Uh, we, when we talk about uh, flow rates and putting fluid into a patient, some of the things that, you know, should be of concern, especially in the pre-hospital setting, because I'll tell you, every all the training we do in EMS is literally go big or go home. That's where the mentality comes from, because every time we train, every patient we train on, meaning we go to a class and they give you a scenario and you have to treat the patient, mm-hmm. they're always critical. Oh, always. <laughs> they never give you, like, you never go to, like, paramedic school and they give you, like, a transfer from the hospital. Right. You know? <laughs> it's always... You know, somebody's falling off a building or they're having a heart attack or, you know, stuff like that. So we get in this mentality of, well, we have to give a lot of fluid. Right. So a 14-gauge or an 18-gauge, you know, you're giving, between the two of them, on average, probably around 200 milliliters per minute. So yeah, within, you know, we would say five minutes, you can give a full liter bag. Okay. Depending on how, if you're not using a pressure infuser. Um. So that's fi- that's a liter of fluid in five minutes. If you go to the hospital, because this is some of the arguments I'll get from trainees. Well, they're going to put they they give fluid in the hospital. Yeah, they'll give it on a pump at like 125 cc's per hour. Yeah, and so it's going to take them eight hours to get that same liter of fluid. <laughs> you know, so it can be dangerous to give too much fluid to a patient. You can fluid overload a patient very easily, and so. Just something to keep in mind if, you know, somebody's starting an IV on you or, you know, uh, you know, you're starting an IV on somebody else. Just be careful of your fluid. Yeah. You know, we, exactly. And we talk about those large gauge catheters. Uh, a 24 gauge, which is the smallest we carry on the ambulance as an IV catheter, is about 20 milliliters per minute. Wow. That's that's more of a fluid suggestion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you also got to understand, though, that that's going to be uh, the significance of that really, really depends on the patient. Right. Um, so you're talking about kids. Well, 20 milliliters a minute is a lot different than Mark or right. I. Um, so when we're and that's kind of one of the major considerations also when we're picking out an IV size is how big can the vein support? One of the things that will drive me nuts is someone will see a vein that they can squeeze an 18 into and they'll try right. it. But Mark, you know, as well as I do. When you squeeze an 18 or a large catheter into a vein that can get in there, just barely supports it, you end up with a lot of vascular resistance. And I cannot say this with 100% certainty because I haven't seen a study on it. I haven't done a study myself, but this is in my anecdotal experience. I have found that it's better to put a 20 gauge or even a 22 gauge into a vein that can support that with a little more room and you'll actually get faster flow than trying to cram the biggest needle you can because you end up with a ton of vascular resistance. You got to remember the vein's actually a decently closed off sealed system. And Uh so if blood can't move around your catheter fast enough to replace the blood that's being pushed out of the way by your fluid, you're going to end up, you, you, you might end up rupturing the vein in the first place. Oh, absolutely. And you'll end up blowing the vein just a big bruise. I've seen it, yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's too big of a catheter, and it just tears the vein as you try to advance it. Yeah. And then, you know, then even if it does work, like Chris says, no other blood is going to be getting around that to keep the flow going. Yeah. And so what we'll see is I will see 18, you know, 18 gauges doing just a drip, 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 and you put a 20 gauge in an IV in the same sized vein, and you nip, and it'll flow wide open. You'll uh-huh. just see it coming out of the... Um, what Chris means by wide open is instead of seeing individual drips, you actually just see a stream. So real quick. Looks like a faucet. Yeah. So you have your IV bag, right? Yeah. You insert your IV tubing into the bag, and right below the point where you insert it into the bag is what's called a drip chamber. Uh, this is, you squeeze that once to fill the drip chamber or twice to fill the drip chamber up to about halfway. Then you bleed the line, which means you run fluid all the way out to the end of the line so you're not injecting air into the patient, which I've been told is bad, injecting a full tubing of air into the patient. <laughs> and by bad, I mean you probably kill them. So, yeah. uh, you know, you flush the line. So we hook it up, and so in that drip chamber, like Chris was talking about, a 10-drop set, you'll see the bag actually drop, uh, drips actually dropping down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a 60-drop set, which is uh, 60 drops per milliliter mm-hmm. and is used for much smaller infusions. It's, it's not going to run as fast. Yeah. Um, so in that drip chamber, you're seeing drops, and you can calculate how much you're giving by how many drops you're seeing over a certain amount of time. Or if you run it wide open, it's literally just a stream of drops dropping into that drip chamber because mm-hmm. it's going so fast that it doesn't drop off. So that's what Chris is talking about. And the reason the um, 60 drop sets versus the 10 drop sets might be better for a medical infusion is uh, with a 10 drop set, every single drop is one tenth of a CC. So if you think about the concentration of your medications, depending on how much medication the patient needs, and you know, if it's a very small amount over a long time, well, you don't want to sit there and wait for one drop to go by in 10 minutes. That's almost impossible to count. If you have a 60 drop set where each drop is one sixtieth of a CC, you're going to have more drops per minute to try and get to the therapeutic dose. And it's just easier to gauge and measure because you well, can sit there and watch the drips go by. It's more specific. Yeah. I mean, finer resolution is a good way to put that. It's a finer resolution. Uh, However, nowadays, even in the ambulance, we carry electronic pumps where you just hook it up and you press some numbers and it just pulls the amount of fluid it needs, regardless of the drip set that you have. Right. But um, anyway. So um, we're talking about, you know, 24 gauges. I don't use it. I mean, unless it's a child, very rarely am I going to use a 22 or 24. Right. It can be used. I've done it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you need an IV, you need an IV. Any IV, (laughs) any IV port in the storm. Right. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes you can't even get uh, a 24 or 22 into a patient. So you have to go to what's called a butterfly needle. Now, the butterfly needle is different than the IV catheters in a couple different ways. A, they're very tiny. And B, they don't have the plastic sheath to take the needle out of the vein. Right. So just metal. Just the metal. So you're actually going to insert the needle into the vein. It's very short, very small. And then that's going to be taped in place. Mm-hmm. So comes with some inherent problems of damaging the inside of the vein yes but if you have no other options a lot of times butterfly needles are they're called winged infusion set because it actually has little wings on it that don't come off and they're fairly large yeah or, or a scalp vein set these are used a lot of times in the scalp on the neonates absolutely just because you can get there the veins popping out and 
it's very tiny. Yep. So I've had patients say, oh, no, no, they always have to use a butterfly on me. Okay, but I'm going to see what I can find because a lot of people, especially older people who are very sensitive to pain, uh, they prefer the butterfly needle because it's a much smaller needle. Yeah. You know, those are, I mean, I've seen 27 gauges, you know, and you get much smaller than that and you're just not able to really do anything of any importance. Right. Yeah. A 27 gauge, geez Louise. Uh, We carry 25 and 27 gauge butterfly needles on the rig. 23 and 25. Oh, really? Yep. Are you sure? I'm positive. How would you know this? <laughs> it's actually literally my job to make sure those are on the ambulance. <laughs> Chris is the one as a supervisor that makes sure ambulances are up to snuff to meet uh, state and county re- uh, regulations. Yeah. <laughs> so he will go through an ambulance probably, what, like once a week maybe? Once a, every couple weeks? Uh, it, it it depends. Like uh, this month is a little busier because we got a new ambulance coming online. Plus, we're going to keep up our normal rates. So we're going to be going through a few. But uh, right. once once a week, actually, a typical month, I'll probably do one. Just I usually do two at the two last weeks of the of the month. So like two in a month. But uh, this one's going to be a little different. Yeah. So on shift, he goes through and just fine tooth combs the entire rig. <laughs> I will find anything if it's missing. <laughs> so okay, Chris. You're a horrible medic, right? Terrible. You can't get an IV on this patient. Nope. What's your next option? Well, especially if we have a patient that's critical and they're really going to need, and they are going to be needing medications, like a Code 99 is a good example. We code can, 99 being a cardiac arrest. Yes, uh, which we have an awesome episode on, if you guys want to go back and find yeah. that. We have a good uh, vascular access episode to talk about the actual structure of the veins. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, so... Uh, we also have intraosseous, which osseous means bone. And this is quite literally a needle that, uh, did you fall over? Yeah, fell out of my chair. Oh, really? Huh? Okay, yeah, it sounded like it. <laughs> uh, that's just better than admitting that I forgot to turn my phone down. <laughs> uh, okay. I, would, I would rather have everybody think that I fell out of my chair. <laughs> Mark is going to cover this by saying, I was just hiding the body of a dead hooker. Um <laughs> Anything, I'm not sure. Anything that yeah. I forgot to do on my phone. Because <laughs> Mark gives me relentless crap for forgetting this while recording, <laughs> to the point that he texts me at the start of almost every show. Uh, anyway, so we have intraosseous infusion, uh, which is, it, it goes into the bone. Um, so if you check up on our bone episodes, one of the things that bones are responsible for is the production of red blood cells. As such, uh, your bones are very vasculature. They have... Uh, basically holes in them where the vasculature can access the bone marrow. So what we do is we literally have a drill that we use on the ambulance. So that's not the only method, but we have a drill that we use on the ambulance that has a needle on the end of it. And we find the spot. It's either going to be in the tibia. It's a little flat spot. There's a little flat spot on the tibia just beneath your knee uh, or tibial tuberosity. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I like how we both oohed that at the same time. Um, <laughs> nerd alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have uh, the head of the humerus, which is... Um, not funny. No, it's not not at all. But it's uh, your upper arm bone. They, uh, has a There's a ball and socket joint also in the bones episode that goes... That kind of makes up the ball and socket joint of your, of your shoulder. And that ball right there is kind of what we're gunning for. And so we'll actually put it right into there. And those are just very bone marrowy parts that have good access. And yeah, we'll push medication through there and that will get absorbed right into the bloodstream. And it's very quick. Now, those are our two most common sites. There are uh, other sites. Sternum. There are other sites. You have the sternum. You also have the medial malleolus, which is the far end of your tibia. Sounds That's boring. A, it is. <laughs> um, but we prefer, I mean, the one that we are, you know, we would like to get is going to be the uh, the humeral. Yeah. Bio. Now, why, Chris? Why? I think you can answer that. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I mean, closer flows to better. <laughs> flow better. Um, the closer you are to, yeah, they flow better, but also the closer you are to the central system, because in the times that we need these, uh, an IO, generally there's not a whole lot of blood flow going on. <laughs> Especially no. to especially to the peripheral vasculature, like in a cardiac arrest where people are doing CPR. Yes, blood is flowing. It is at an amazingly decreased rate from normal. Right, because we and use so, CPR to make the blood flow, but that's not that's not the same as your heart doing the job itself. No, no, no. In fact, uh, CPR is designed to get blood from your heart to your head, which is not a big distance. No, <laughs> not to your right knee. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so 
Yeah, I mean, so we want to get as close to the central system as possible so the medications we're giving are actually getting to where they need to be as soon as possible. Now, we have a couple different uh, couple different devices uh, for this. Uh, you ever used a Jamshini? Oh, yes. I've used Jamshini and the EZIO gun. Right. So the Jamshini was what we carried for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it is it's about this long. It's about this big <laughs> round. So, if everyone could see Mark's fingers. Exactly. It's about... Five to six inches long. I actually want to point out that I can't even see Mark's fingers. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's how he does not know that I'm giving him the finger this entire time. Yeah. So I felt uh, that. <laughs> got the vibe through the microphone. Right. So the jam sheet is about, what do you say, about five or six inches long. And it is a piece of, uh, they're, all the ones I've ever seen are blue. Uh, and it's a handle with uh, like a couple wings on the side. And then there's a solid needle coming out the bottom of that. Mm-hmm. And what you would do is you would find, we did at this point, we would generally do the uh, tibial tuberosity at the top of the knee. Again, if you start at your kneecap and you go down, you'll feel like uh, where your uh, the top of your shin bone comes to a point almost or a peak. Yeah. And then on either side of that is a flat space. And that's what we're aiming for, is that flat space. So with this jam sheety, which I always thought was a funny name just because you jam it into their leg. Yeah, but it's actually the name of the doctor that came right. up with it. That's, I mean, literally, it is. It's yeah. J-A-M-S-H-I-D-I. Right. What are you doing, Jim Sheedy? Jamming stuff into people's legs. That sounds sheedy. <laughs> yeah. right. So what you would literally do is you'd line up. And back then with the Jam Sheedies, we, uh, we only ever did them on pediatrics just because it was so tough to get through because the bones are still pliable. Mm-hmm. You know, so as children, we, and we literally only did them on pediatric codes. Right. And so what you would do is you would line up on that and you would just start kind of pressing and twisting mm-hmm. until you felt it pop into the vein or into yeah. the uh, intraosseous space. And then part of the handle could spin down to keep it at the same spot. Then you would unscrew the back of it, pull out a tro- the trochanter. Is that the right word? No, trochanter is uh, part of oh. your femur, or like the, you have the greater trochanters, which is the notch on the side of the femur. I thought trochanter was a, anyway. There's a central. The the needle was solid, and you take out the middle to make it so that it's now hollow. Yeah, and then you would hook up your line to that. You'd have to draw off bone marrow uh, to make sure you had a good. You're in the right spot mm-hmm. because it was very easy to go all the way through to the other side. Yeah, and pop it back into the musculature on the other side. So you really have to be careful. It was a very finite technique. This was definitely a back-of-the-ambulance technique. Didn't really want to do this in front of the parents and family and everybody else unless you absolutely had to. Yeah. And this was something that this is probably one of the rare times I will actually stop the ambulance to do a, to do a procedure. You know, generally starting IVs. I've intubated patients while traveling down the road. But I will. I would stop, you know, tell my partner, stop. Just wherever you are, stop. Just because it was such a finite amount of space there. It's hard to do. I mean, it, it's you've got because babies have these fat little legs, and mm-hmm. they've got a bone in there somewhere. You mean adorable fat little legs? I do, but but you can't, it's not like you're holding onto the bone and sticking it in. You're actually holding on to the fat leg, mm-hmm. and the bones in there wiggling around while you chase it with a needle. Again, adorable fat leg. Adorable fat leg, <laughs> while you chase it with a needle. Right. And you then know. and then you're going to take the needle. You're going to push on it. It's going to want to move. So right. Yeah. So, uh, beyond those, the Food and Drug Administration has approved uh, three other intraosseous devices for use in adult trauma patients when you just can't get a vein. Uh, this is going to be the uh, insertion site at the sternum. It's going to be the fast one. Uh, your proximal tibia, or the uh, tibial tuberosity, or the humerus, is the big, the notorious B-I-G. <laughs> uh, the big, in- big injection gun. Uh, and uh, proximal and distal... Uh, Proximal and distal tibia and humerus are the easy IO, which is what we carry. Right? You there? Hello? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm getting tired. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. I'm good. <laughs> I am prepared to remain conscious for recording this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the easy IO, like Chris says, basically a drill. We have different length needles for kids. We have different length needles for large patients. And it... Yeah, it's a little electric gun, you know, almost sounds like a drill when you go to the, uh, well, it is a drill. So it, it is. Sound like it. Yeah, but the drill when you go to the dentist has you that know, kind of a tone to it. Uh, they actually have a surprising amount of torque. 
Really? Uh, oh yeah, I was uh, like I was sitting there. set your lug nuts on your car kind of torque. I wouldn't set my lug nuts on my car, but I'd be willing to bet if they had an adapter to put on like a Phillips head, you could probably drive screws just as deep as any other drill. And really? th- well, and I base this off of the fact that I, I have a I have an assortment of drills. Now there are some drills that I would destroy my hand if I tried this, but I have just kind of a small like Makita brand I want to say, mm-hmm. and um, it might be an older Black and Decker. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you grab the end of that and pull down, you hold hard enough, you'll actually stop or significantly slow it. I tried grabbing the um, the thing on the end of the IO gun. Don't ask why. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to see. I wanted to test the torque. Chris tries a lot of things that we should not ask why for. And, but you know, I feel I understand it better. And I could not <laughs> keep, I could not hold on to that. Could huh. not hold on. Now, it could just be the shape of the end is hard to hold on to, but it it's very torquey. But you think it probably should be. Did it hurt your fingers? Um, no, because I let, well, a little, I mean, enough to make me let go, but so did, it would stop hurting. Did you, did you break the skin? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I did not. There's no, there's not bloody IO guns in the ambulances right <laughs> well, now. No. I was worried about that. Before we, I was, well, okay. <laughs> I could just see you like trying to hold on to it. Oh, hold on to you. It's like tearing through the skin of your finger. You know? Yeah, exactly. Just spraying blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the easy IO gun, easy IO guns really are easy to use. You line up, you find your sights, you press the needle against the bone. And it does ninety percent of the work for you. You don't have to press that hard to get through the uh, to get through the bone. Nice, you know. Yeah, no, you no, you don't. Sorry, yes, you're right. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord! And I shouldn't be that tired. I just am. <laughs> so um, I've never used the big the the uh, big the uh, bone injection gun. I have seen a video of it, and yikes. Uh, so, could you imagine if you miss? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, well, this like, is. <laughs> I just to me, it, it it reminds me of the guy. There's a video out there of a guy using a nail gun and he nails his hand to the right. to the wall. <laughs> exactly. I just see the same thing. Could you imagine like some paramedic nails his hand to a patient's leg or the leg to the gurney? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we got a little problem with the IO doc. Uh, <laughs> we have to disengage it from the gurney. So uh, basically, that mattress is, is going with him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so basically, you line up on your site. You can use it either sternal. The video I saw was the uh, tibial tuberosity or the proximal, t- proximal tibia. Mm-hmm. And basically, you, f- you line up on your site. There's this little safety mechanism, plastic safety mechanism you pull out, like pulling the pin on a... Um, Grenade? Really? <laughs> I was going to go fire extinguisher, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you press down, and it's got a new... And once you reach a certain point, it's got a pneumatic spring in there. And it just, you see the whole thing jerk. And they were doing this on a live patient in the video. I'm like, You can tell by the, ah, in the background. (laughs) Dear sweet mother of God. (laughs) Um, It went all the way through. And it just, and it, (laughs) and it just injects the bone, uh, the needle into the bone, into the, into the space. And I'm glad this is not for the sternum because you overshoot that. You can. You can. can. Yeah. Proximal tibia and oh, I'm sorry, no proximal tibia and humerus. Never mind. Sorry, yeah, I misread the shit. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah, great. Well, the patient was coming. actually doing better until we shot him in the chest. Well, the next one we're getting ready to talk about is not much different from what I can see. Oh god! So this is the fast one. Yeah, and this lines up on the supersternal notch. Uh, so the notch at the top of your sternum, right at the base of your throat. As in, I don't, I don't even know why that's there. Why do we have that notch? It seems mm-hmm. like a weak point. Anywho's. Um, you line up onto it. It's got a ring around the outside of it, and you literally just press down on this until it pops through. Wow. Into the, into the sternum. I don't think the needle is very long because it doesn't need to be at that point. No. But, I mean, they did, again, on a live patient, I'm like, who are, where are they finding these people? Hey, we want to stick something into the bone. I'll do it. What the hell? You know. I'm assuming there's a hold my beer kind of moment right before they do this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'll do it. You know, you yell a bunch of whips. I'll do it. Uh, so, yeah, they find the landmarks. They line up. And they when they press down, they put quite a bit of pressure. I mean, this guy's chest is being compressed before it finally snaps and injects it into the uh, into the bone. Now, the interesting thing with a lot of these devices, the easy I.O., the big, the fast one, the thing that I've found is that most people aren't complaining about the pain on the insertion. Mm-hmm. It's on the extraction where they start getting a lot of pain. Yeah, or if we flush with fluid. Right. 
That's uh, and flushing, by the way, is a very common term when we're talking about oh, IV. Wow. Or, <laughs> it's just just like a toilet. Uh-huh. Um, very common term when we're talking about IVs, IOs, or pick lines. And flushing just basically means uh, you're <clears throat> you're just flushing saline through it. And like for example, in an IV, when you get an IV, the first thing that happens is uh, blood will return back out. And so what you do is you hook up a uh, saline. <laughs> Like MacArthur to the Philippines, <laughs> we shall return. Exactly, and so you uh, you hook up a, like a flush. Of... You have to say that every time you start an IV. Oh God! <laughs> what, what, I'm sorry. What am I saying exactly? Like MacArthur to the Philippines, we, we shall, shall return. return. Any hoosers, right? Let's move along from this. Yeah, right. So flush. It's just saline. You flush it through. Well, and, the problem is, is that when you yeah. get that return. If you don't flush that out, uh, the blood will clot and block up your tube. Right. And then, and then you, you have, have to restart your IV. Uh, so, yeah, when you flush it out, you're just trying. And back in the day, uh, you flushed with heparin because they felt that you needed the blood thinning aspects of that to keep it from clotting. Yeah. They still do. Uh, you'll still see heparin flushes on pediatric patients or people who may have a clotting disorder. Right. Still still common. But any more these days, generally it's just either saline or whatever fluid of choice, because there are different fluids besides saline. Right. From what I've been reading, uh, lactated ringers is coming back into vogue. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That, uh, huh? Yeah, that's what I hear. Our, one of our neighboring yeah. counties is actually uh, They're finding that the amounts of saline we're putting into people, can, where certain patients can be uh, less than optimal. Ruh-roh. So... Just because of the sodium in it, even though it's not a tremendous amount of sodium. Yeah, over so, time. So, uh, these are, I mean, we use these quite often, especially now that we have the, the uh, machinery to be able to do the adults. These have become a lot more of a go-to in critical situations. Yeah. It's just not uncommon on a cardiac arrest to just go straight to an IO. Because mm-hmm. once it's inserted, it's good, you're golden. And finding a vein on somebody, we'll try an, or an IV, look for an IV on a code while we're getting this set up. But unless you have something really good pretty quick, just going to do an IO anymore. Yeah. So, so there are some complications that can happen with IOs, though. I mean, they are they are easy for the most for the most part. They're relatively easy. Are they easy IOs? <laughs> well, some of them are. Um, if easy I would like to advertise on this episode. <laughs> exactly. So there are uh, so some of the complications we already talked about. Like there's a failure to enter the bone marrow. You just plain miss. And then what can happen is if you start putting medication through and you're not you don't realize that you've missed, it's, it causes something called extravasation, which basically just means outside the vasculature, or in this case, outside of the bone, where you're pushing fluid and it's just going into the surrounding tissue, which is not helpful. No. Um, the other thing is through and through penetration of the bone also has the same complication. Basically, the needle goes straight through. This is more of a pediatric problem than it's going to be an adult problem. Right. But um, needle goes all the way through. You start pushing fluids and meds through, and all you're doing is filling up the surrounding tissue with more stuff. Osteomyelitis. Uh, so this is rare in short-term use, but your um, bones have a thin covering that goes around them. And osteomyelitis is an infection or inflammation of that covering. Uh, this is rare, but it can be super duper painful, and it's just it not having an infection. What's that? The medical terminology that's flowing here. <laughs> super duper painful. <laughs> Sometimes I would even say super duper pooper scooper. Really? Nah. Super super duper? So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, so you also have the epiphyseal plate uh, that can be damaged. So in pediatrics, there's a... There's a plate on either end of the bone, also commonly called the growth plate, mm-hmm. and that as a bone is growing, this is kind of a base, a foundation, if you will, for osteoblasts, which are cells that create more bone uh, to grow the bone. If you're starting an I.O. and you go too high uh, from your site and you damage that plate, you can stunt the growth of a bone. Uh, and then, of course, anytime you're breaking skin, whether it's with an IV or an IO, you run the risk of local infection. Right. Yeah. And with that infection, you can get some skin necrosis. There's obviously the pain uh, compartment syndrome, which is actually where you get uh, swelling to the point that it sections off a part of your leg. You know, this is a – it becomes circumferential. Yeah. The, the infection and the swelling does, and it decreases blood flow distally to that. Well, circumferential Meaning, means it goes all the way around a limb. Right. Basically becomes like a tourniquet. So, yeah, it can, I mean, if you're talking about a child who has a very small leg, you know, it can happen. As Chris was saying, they were adorably pudgy. 
legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the initial swelling may be hard to determine. And so it, you don't notice until it's too late. Um, you can also, uh, have microemboli of fat and bone, but mm-hmm. those are pretty rare. Yeah. Emboli is, oh, sorry, go ahead. No. Uh, you know, so basically uh, a, a small piece of fat or bone or bone marrow actually gets into the vascular, into the, into the venous system. And that can cause a clot down the road. Mm-hmm. And so, but these are all pretty rare. Um, you know, when we're talking about IVs, you can talk about getting a, a, a skin plug. As you, it's pretty rare, but as you go in, you actually get into the vein, but it doesn't flow because a small sliver of skin is actually blocking the end of your catheter. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was going to talk about real quick, I meant to do it during the venous part, would be the uh, new uh, vein finder machines. So this is uh, something that's come out in the last five years or so. And so there are actually devices which you can hold over the patient's arms for patients who, you know, they can be very large, have a lot of adipose tissue. Adipose tissue be fat under the skin. Mm-hmm. And it makes it difficult to find a vein because you can't feel them and you really just can't see them with the naked eye. And these new uh, devices are actually able to, using infrared, I believe, uh, you hold it over the skin, and on a, str- on a screen, you can actually see where the veins are. You can use that to guide into the vein. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, those are uh, intraosseous Boom. infusions. I.O. Yep. So, now we also have uh, what are called central lines, and there's a couple different kinds of central line. But a central venous catheter, also known as a central line, uh is basically, so we everything we've been doing is fairly peripheral, meaning it's away from the core, right? Mm-hmm. So these are going to be central lines. Uh, these are actually into the main central arteries or cent- main central veins uh, so that anything you give goes straight into the central system. It's not having to travel through the arm or the leg or the bone. You know, a couple different reasons you can have these or you're going to be getting a lot of blood tests. This is a critical patient or a long-term chronic patient with a fairly severe problem. And rather than sticking the patient every 40 minutes with a new needle to try and get blood, they can put in a central line and draw blood that way. Um, patients with key, or who are on chemotherapy, well, a lot of times will get some sort of central line. Uh, to be able to get uh, receive that medication over a long period of time. Uh, dialysis patients will have uh, fistulas or shunts where they actually connect an artery and a vein together. Mm-hmm. And then and, they can... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Okay. They connect an artery and vein together with a port that they can plug into where in dialysis, they actually take the blood out of the body to clean it in a machine and then put it back in. And so... It's very difficult to find a uh, pulse on that arm because they've taken away your artery, your main artery. And should that, uh, should that, Jesus Christ, should that thing rupture? Oh, bad. that's a nightmare. Uh, and it's oh. actually funny. Uh, my wife Jesse, who was actually on our <laughs> our pregnancy episode, real quick. Yeah. If that should rupture, <laughs> if that should rupture, it's a nightmare. And pretty funny. Here's a story about my wife. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead, ahead. Jesse. Yeah, so Jesse, uh, she had a call once where it was uh, to a dialysis shunt or to a dialysis clinic, and the person's dialysis shunt after they had removed uh, the needle, which is uh, what how they get you know the blood out to clean and then put back. uh, It just they couldn't get it to stop bleeding, and Mm -hmm. they put the mother of all tourniquets and clamps on these things, and they are hard clamps. They could not get it to stop, and it's bleeding all over the place. And she got there, and she had learned this on her internship, and it's bleeding all. Everyone's like trying to tourniquet it, and they're just putting a lot of pressure on it. And she took her finger and she put it right on that hole, Mm -hmm. and it stopped in its tracks. Yep, she put it right there. Now the problem with that is (laughs) you're stuck there until you get to the hospital, and probably for a while after that. Yeah. Yeah, you're, that's that's uh, yeah. You've kind of set yourself up for uh, not doing much else on the call. Yeah. <laughs> now you are the most important person on that call now. But mm-hmm. yeah. Oh you're yeah. It's, cool. Uh, oh yeah. The people. I mean, this is an artery. It's under high pressure. Oh yeah. So it, they will bleed out everything eventually. I mean, in a fairly quick amount of time. Yeah. So um, you may be getting long-term antibiotics to fight an infection uh, over like six or eight weeks, and so. One of the more common central lines is called a pick line. Mm-hmm. 
It's a peripherally inserted central catheter. Yeah. Um, this is, a lot of times they're used for patients uh, that need a line over a couple months. Yeah. You know? I've seen that they can keep a pick line in for up to two, up to 18 months. But I think if they're going to go that long, they generally go for a true central line. Which right. we'll go over here in just a few minutes. So uh, basically, this is a very long tube. How long would you say the tube is, Chris? I'm just trying to think. I mean, it the tube pretty much has to go from usually the shoulder area right around down. I mean, it goes pretty much to just superior of the heart, correct? Yeah. They, um, so you're probably they, talking over probably about 18 inches, I would say, at least. And, yeah. it's, and I imagine it's going to depend on the size of the patient as well. But uh, you're looking at about 18 inches of catheter. Right. So this is a thin, soft, flexible tube. Uh it's started somewhere in the upper arm above the elbow, below the shoulder, and it's basically wherever they can find a decent vein. Uh, you can give medications through it. Uh, they can draw blood out of it. Now, the thing is, as opposed to the IV we start we talked about earlier, which you can use for pressure infusions, you can give blood through, you can give uh, medication boluses quickly through it. Uh, this is more like... As opposed to an IV being like a garden hose, this is more like a soaker hose for your front yard. There you go. Right? Where you can give medications through it, but it's going to be infusions, not boluses. Now, an infusion is given over a long period of time, and a bolus is given over a short period of time. You know, it's given, uh, we can give it a fluid bolus, we can give a medication bolus, and it's basically just pushed in as, almost as fast as you can give it, you know. Um, but yeah, your arm will be cleaned and covered with a sterile cloth uh, to prevent infections. And now one of the big things about any of these procedures we're talking about today is uh, trying to make sure your site is clean. Absolutely. Uh, we've already talked about, you know, infections that can occur. And one of the common, I would say probably the most common reason those infections occur is unclean sites. Right. You know, so you'll see us using alcohol preps. Uh, some places use uh, iodine wipes or iodine scrubs to, to uh, and depending on what they're doing, they're going to get more and more aggressive. Um, a lot of times the iodine's not used. I don't use iodine all that often pre-hospital just because a lot of people are allergic to it and may not know it. Yes. You know, it can have a fairly high instance of an allergic reaction. So, right. um but if we're going to be doing an I.O., we generally iodine that site, you know, because the patient's very sick already. The last thing you want to do is cause more infection on a patient who's, you know, you've gotten back from cardiac arrest. So, yeah. Um, with the uh, once they've cleaned you up and it's a sterile field, uh, this is obviously something they do in the hospital. It's not an, this is not something we do in the ambulance, even though, you know, our ambulances are, you know, operating Perfect. room cleaned at all times. Perfectly sterile. Exactly. <laughs> um they use a medication to numb the area where the pick line will be placed. And it's inserted, will be inserted into a vein just above the bend of the elbow. Uh, unless they just can't find anything there, and then they will move up towards the shoulder. And it's guided into a large vein in your chest. A lot of times patients don't feel anything or they don't feel very much pain or discomfort during this procedure. Once it's in place, it is held in your arm with a special tape. Ooh, it's a special tape. Ooh la la. I know. And it's covered with a uh, sterile dressing. So, again, we want to make sure that this is protected because this is a direct access into your bloodstream. And if you get phlebitis, which can be an infection of your bloodstream, we talk about it in our cancer episode, well, blood goes everywhere. And yeah. so it now becomes systemic. And we talk about this in our sepsis episode, and you become septic very quickly. Right. So uh, they then take you down to x-ray, and they light you up, and they take a picture of it to make sure it's in the right place. Uh, and then... Well, you said light, light them up. You just It reminded me... So uh, there was a period of time where I worked at a pediatric specialty hospital on their transport team. And it was one of the things that one of the doctors was saying. He's like, hey, you know what? He's like, if... If someone's ever sitting there wanting an x-ray because we're worried about a spontaneous pneumo, uh, pneumothorax, which you can actually check our chest trauma episode for that uh, on a pediatric. He's like, if they're they're small enough, pick them up and shine a light behind them. <laughs> and I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, works fine. 
Like, wow, okay. That's old school. Yeah. Hey, hey, grab me the mag light real quick. <laughs> no, really? Well, because they do have very, very bright lights there for actually right. helping with starting veins, because we'll right. shine them through hands to look at shadows. Starting uh, veins? I'm sorry, starting IVs in veins. <laughs> yeah, we'll put veins in people. Right. Um, but they have <laughs> very, very procedure. bright lights. And so... Uh, it's controversial, but we're trying. <laughs> got bad vasculature? Borrow Ted's. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so... If I can't find a vein, damn it, I'm putting one of my own in. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, yeah, that's just kind of the thing there is that he's like, yeah, just shine him out. So when he said light about this, just that image popped Thanks. in my head. Yeah. Uh, now, after this, you'll be able to bend your arm and use your arm just as you would without the pick line in place. Now, I think you probably, you may have like some weight restrictions on what you can right. pick up. I don't know that we could necessarily work as a paramedic just mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it can be fairly easy to dislodge a pick line. You, and you also, you want to be very careful of damaging the end of that pick line, too. Right. Because if you damage the end of it, like you pull it out or you rip it, it pretty much you got to replace the whole thing. Right. So, um, in fact, there is a tale. It may be more of an urban legend. Uh, but I have heard is there was once a, a, an EMT out of transfer who used to be a paramedic and... For some odd reason, his physician advisor thought that maybe paramedic wasn't his deal anymore. Uh, But anyway, they're on a transfer, and he sees the head of what he thinks is just an IV. And he goes, oh, they accidentally sent this patient home, but the IV is still in place. Oh, Jesus. And he takes off the It's becoming clearer and clearer why his... Physician advisor yeah. or medical director decided to pull his privileges. <laughs> and uh, when he got that catheter about six inches out, it dawned on him, this ain't an IV. <laughs> Considering an IV needle is usually about one inch catheter, maybe one mm-hmm. and a half or two inch, depending on if you got a specialty needle or not. Right. Uh, when you get six inches out, it's not an IV. Yeah. <laughs> now, the question is at that point, what did he do? I'm going to say he tried to reinsert it and just act like nothing happened. So I don't know. I've heard various things, but the the story that rings true to me only because it's the simplest story right. is that he realized what he did and they took the patient back to the hospital. Hopefully, yes. So, uh, that would be the best choice at that point. The best part about it, the whole reason the patient went to the hospital was to get a pick line inserted. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. If you're not sure, don't monkey with it, basically. Yeah, just leave it alone. So uh, complications of the pick line uh, can be... Uh, slight, diff- slight discomfort, uh, bleeding at the insertion site. Uh, you may have to do it more than once, or may not be, able to be you may not be able to insert the entire length of the pick line into the patient. Because uh, there does come a point where, yeah, you're now rubbing up. You're, well, you're in the left ventricle. We're going to need to back that up a little bit because <laughs> you could actually end up pressing against the heart. Right. Uh, yeah. Don't don't monkey with the heart, man. Leave that alone. Uh, during during insertion of the pick line, accidental puncture of an artery nerve tendon can occur near the insertion site. This is very rare, though. Uh, a clot can form around the catheter, which will cause swain, pain. Swain. Uh, that would be swelling and pain all put together. Swain. Yes, yeah, swain. Uh, in the arm, inflammation in the vein, phlebitis can uh, develop from the uh, use uh, of all types of IVs, including pick lines. And then, of course, an infection. Now, the advantage of having a pick line um, is that, you know, why would you go with a pick line over necessarily just an IV? A, generally they want to replace an IV after 72 hours at the longest. If it's a one started pre-hospital, generally within 24 hours they want to start a new IV just to keep the infection rate down. Uh, with a pick line... Rather than having to start an IV on this person every time they go for a treatment, or if they're in the hospital starting a line every you know every three days on this patient, they may decide to go with a. Uh... So once they start the pick line and it's in and it's good to go, you're good for months, and they can draw line. They can draw labs. They can give the medications. Now, um, as opposed to a pick line, you also have just a central catheter, which is where they will actually uh, in a surgery suite. They will go into um, the upper chest or the subclavian uh, line or in uh, down the inguinal down in the groin, and they can actually do a cut down through the skin and insert a uh, catheter straight into the central line, and you have a port in the upper chest of the patient. Uh, some of these we could go in, we could talk for another hour on central lines, right? Um, some of these may have like external, external little dangly bits that uh, they can use. 
medical terms again. I'm sorry. Yeah, just coming up those super duper dangly bits. <laughs> That's the level of professional education you get from medical stuff. Yeah. Um, or they can actually have a port that is under the skin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now, as a paramedic, we don't touch those. No. <laughs> well, we can. We do have a protocol in our system for accessing pick lines. But again, we can't use it for like, like in a cardiac arrest situation because this is not meant for boluses. So we, and we have a whole procedure where we have to draw and we have to flush and we have to, I mean, it's not a quick procedure. You can't just lock into it and go. Uh, but because it's a low pressure system, you can actually damage it by trying to push too much through a pick line at one time. So, yeah, yeah, that's some uh, things about different venous access. And I actually really, I was excited to do this episode. I'm really glad the listener uh, suggested it because right. it's something I use every day. And especially oh. if you're kind of up and coming in this and um, and you want to learn about it, you know, this is a good episode for you. But here's one of the things I do want to tell you. If you are thinking about becoming a pre-hospital provider uh, or uh, a nurse where you're going to be doing a lot of IVs, here's here's what I've discovered. There are a million, there are a million and one reasons that your IV won't work. Mm-hmm. You'll miss it. You'll blow the line, all that stuff. You're Chris and a horrible paramedic. Exactly. Um, here's the thing. No one cares. Like, don't, like I can't tell you how many times I've had interns <laughs> where they're like, oh, I think it was a, a flesh plug. Or, I don't care. You don't have an IV, so go try and start another one. So, I don't care. <laughs> Stop making excuses because I, at the end of the day, there's no IV. I got to get one. And the fact that it didn't work the first time has no bearing on right. the second one I'm going to try. Ex- well, especially in EMS for the longest time, you know, to ga- it, was a, it was a gauge for how good of a medic you were, were your IV stats. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean... If you had, you know, oh, yeah, man, they just can't hit the broadside of a barn with an IV. No, no, and so, no. you know, you, hear, <laughs> you know, you, you hear people that, yeah, oh, uh, some, so in the vein, go back to our vascular access. Uh, if you want more information and listen to that episode, it's a very good episode, but you have, uh, in the veins, you have what are called, um, crap. It was going so well. In the veins, it's called crap. And so really what this is, it's what? nothing. You said crap. Oh, uh, well, I said crap, actually. Um, the hell's valve. Sorry, Good valve. Lord. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so in your veins you have valves. Basically, what they're doing they're a one-way valve to keep the blood from back flowing through the vein. Because the blood's coming up from your legs or up from your hands. If you didn't have these, your hands and your feet would be swollen to the size of pumpkins. Well, that's great for you know life. Um, a little more difficult creates a problem for us getting an IV, because if you get against one of these, it makes it very difficult to get the IV. As Chris was saying, people will find all sorts of excuses other than, I just didn't hit the damn vein. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, for why they didn't get the IV. And again, it's irrelevant. We just need to get the IV. Oh, and final note, when you're in school doing this and you have some paramedic that's been doing it a while, it's helping you guys learn how to do IVs, spare that paramedic the stupid joke of, well, I could hit that vein from back here. We've heard it a million times. Don't need to hear it again. Good. It's not funny. Sometimes those big veins are the worst ones to start because they're not as strong. They'll blow very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever I hear people making excessive excuses about whatever, I'm like, you know, only a bad, only a bad craftsman blames his tools, right? You know, yep. you know, and when you're start, when you're new to starting IVs, know a couple things. So, Chris, how long have you been a medic? Uh, ten years. Have you? No, been no, it's been longer oh, than that. This Eleven, really wasn't, this thirteen. Really wasn't, this is, oh, Jesus Christ! No, it can't I'm be thirteen. I'm regretting this conversation. No, no, no. Hang on, let me get a calendar. <laughs> so oh, the point about, of the question this? is, Chris, I've been at my current agency for 14 years. That much. Okay, there we go. So, um, the point of the question was not that the actual exact date. Um, have you had a dry spell where you couldn't hit shit with an IV catheter? Yeah, yeah. I literally, uh, I was, yeah. working, I was working with another medic who uh, is also of equal rank for a weekend, and I'm like, I'm going to give you the narcotics because I can't claim to be the lead medic on this truck if I can't hit an IV. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, everybody goes through a dry, dry spell. But the most important thing, especially as a new practitioner, is you can't let your last miss affect this stick. Oh, yeah. Even if it's on the same patient. Just move on. Yeah, you, okay, I can hit that vein. Well, can hit that vein. Great, I can hit that vein, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, you can't let the, you know, you stick a patient once, you stick a patient twice. 
I always apologize for the second stick. I you know, I take responsibility for it. You blame the patient, I know. Pretty much. Well, I mean, if you had better veins, ma'am, this wouldn't happen. Right. Uh, but, you know, I always apologize to the patient. But when I go to look for the second vein, I've completely forgotten about that first vein. Yeah. Because. Gotta, can't let chip you up. It's, irre- it's irrelevant at that point. Yeah. You know, it's so. Yeah. Anything about uh, IVs, IOs, or such? I was just going to say one more thing is that the uh, dry spell, when you hit the dry spell, it's usually right after you make a comment of, man, I haven't missed a vein in right. months. <laughs> uh, my IV skills recently have been just rocking. And that's what and, happens. Yeah, but no, man, right other here. than that, I am set. Are you ready to go to bed? Oh, I'm there. You're in bed? No. You've done no, that no, for no. bed. <laughs> no, I'm mentally there. there. Med- <laughs> so uh, that's all I've got. Thank you all for listening. Um Something was brought up uh, to me just this last week by a, a friend. If you like the episode, please go to iTunes or your favorite podcast site and give us a review. We like positive reviews. The more positive five-star reviews we can get means that we move up on lists where more people are able to find us. So Sweet. if you feel we deserve five stars, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. If you don't think we deserve five stars, please go to iTunes and give us five stars. And then just email us privately. And you can right. email us at medsidestuff <laughs> at yahoo.com. Uh, you can also get a hold of us on Twitter at medsidestuff. We're on Instagram at uh, medicalstuff52. And we're on Facebook at medicalstuff. So please come leave us your questions, concerns, complaints. You know, if we make a mistake, we want to know about it because we make a lot of mistakes. And if you have a suggestion for an episode, it can end up being made just like this one. Yep. Uh, literally, we got this suggestion last week. Right. So, and we're not saying we'll be that quick on everybody's response. And you, you mean some of the responses or some of the requests may end up in like a potpourri episode because sometimes there's just not enough information out there to make a viable episode. So true. But we always want to hear the requests. And with so, that, we're going to get out of here and toast. toast.